0: Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk Would you please take up your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter fifteen so that's page ten in the black Bibles or page twelve if you've got one of the blue larger print can be looking at. Uh, These two passages of of Genesis, among others. Uh, But let's read first of all Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, And number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, "So shall your offspring be." And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Would you turn over to chapter 17. Chapter 17, verses 1 to 14. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I'll make you exceedingly fruitful. And I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their gods. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. These are God's words to us. I
1: do want to follow Will's uh, very warm invitation to you to stay for a question and answer session uh, after our service tonight. We don't normally do that here, like you said, but because of the subject matter, we thought it would be helpful. It'll just be a 10-minute break while you get tea and coffee. Uh, obviously, if you need to head home, by all means, please do. Uh, but if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, you could use that 10-minute window uh, to put them into the, uh, the website slider there. You'll see it printed. Uh, In the notices, that might be one way of doing it. Or if you're uh, completely confident, you can take the microphone and ask your question out loud uh, as well as we come to do that together. Part of the reason for doing it is I'm very aware that one feature of Trinity's life that we cherish here in our church family and which we do unapologetically because we believe the Bible teaches it baptizing infants, baptizing babies. I'm very aware, of course, that it is not something that all Christian people believe. What does it mean to say that the Bible teaches the baptism of infants? When there is no one text in the Bible that says, baptize your babies. How can we say the Bible teaches it when I cannot turn you to chapter and verse to show you those exact words printed, baptize your babies. How, how can that claim possibly be true? And so really tonight is, is an attempt to take a topic that Christians disagree on and to recognize that we disagree about it, but I want to try and explain this evening the way that the Bible is read by a church that practices the baptism of infants. I, I think you'd probably agree with me. It's very common, isn't it? Even for folks who have had their children baptized to sometimes not really understand what it is they have done. Uh, they just happen to be in a church that does that, and they end up kind of stumped when people say to them, well, show me in the Bible where, where you get that from. I remember years ago at a, at a conference hearing a wonderful Baptist uh, minister preaching, and he said, look, churches disagree with this sort of thing. People do this. You Anglicans, you Presbyterians, uh, it's really important that you know that you can follow the Lord in your way. And we'll follow him in his. And it, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of how it works, isn't it? And I've been able to use that joke the other way around, of course, uh, to, to, to different friends of mine. But you, do you know this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 38? We're going to turn to this later on. You don't need, don't need to turn to it just now. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter says on the day of Pentecost to the people in Jerusalem, repent and be baptized. And so there you go, somebody says, of course, there it is in black and white, the opposite of your position, repent first, and then be baptized. How on earth can an infant do that, a baby in arms? And that's partly why we're going to have q and A. I I guess you might have questions like that or other questions uh, that you, you might want to ask this evening. I want to begin just by showing you a picture this evening, I'm going to hang this over the end of the, the lectern here, I maybe need to turn it here so the musicians can see it first. What, what are you looking at? people see it over on this side? What are you looking at in this picture? Anyone want to say out loud? An old lady. Sorry? A young lady. Okay. C- can everybody see old lady and young lady? Uh, no, some some can. I showed this to a family member this week. I can't remember which lady it was. I said was there, but they just couldn't see it. So in this picture, there are two different ladies, depending on how you look at the picture. And people have stared at this picture for years, only able to see one of the ladies. And some people stare at the picture for years, and they're only able to see the other lady. And somehow it just takes a slight shift in perspective, something changes, somebody points out a little difference in the, the angle. And all of a sudden, both people both ladies come into view. Some of you, are, you're not going to hear anything else this evening, are you? You're just, you're just, you're just staring at this picture quizzically. Some of you don't believe me that there's two ladies there. You can come and look at it again afterwards if you want to look at it. Uh, I, I've come to think that thinking about baptism in the Bible and thinking about baptising babies is a little bit like staring at a picture like that. Uh, my own story is uh, growing up in a church tradition, growing up in a in a family of staring at texts in the Bible, which could surely only mean one thing, repent and be baptized. And slowly over time I came to see that if you just added something else to the picture, something else to your understanding, the same text, it's not that you change the words in the text, but the same text comes to be seen from a different angle, from a different possibility. So why do we baptise babies? I want to make two great claims, two big claims. I think these the, these are the pillars on which the baptism of infants rests. And then I'm going to give you just a, a quick range of other supporting arguments, um, and then it'll be tea and coffee, and then you can have a have at it, free for all. Uh, afterwards, let me give you the two. Uh, let me give you the two pillars. Here's where we start. We baptise our children because number one because of the father that every Christian has. Okay, number one, we baptize our children because of the father that every Christian believer has. And secondly, that's going to be our main point this evening. We're going to spend most of our time on that. Secondly, we baptize our children because of the family every Christian father leads. Okay? We baptize our children, number one, because of the father every Christian has, and secondly, because of the family that every Christian father leads. Now, what what I want us to do, to look at this first one, we're going to come to the two passages that Will read for us, Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, but I want you to turn forward to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, this is, we're going to look at a few different passages This evening, and I I want to say this itself, the fact that you're going to hear the rustling of the leaves this evening, your Bibles turning to different passages, that in itself is part of the method of the answer of why we baptize our babies. I do not have one particular text to turn to, but hopefully rather a story to show you. And so Romans chapter 4, page 941, page 941 in your church Bibles, And I'll read all these 12 verses. Excuse me. Romans 4 verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? This is Genesis 15. Abraham believed God This is King David, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, for the Jew, or is it also for the Gentile, the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It's a clear answer. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Faith came first, then circumcision. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, notice, while he was still uncircumcised. Uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. I want you just to notice in the passage the father that every Christian has. I'm sure you spotted him. Do you see right in verse one, Abraham, our forefather. And immediately you might think, yes, but that's just Paul talking about Jewish people. See that the phrase in verse one, Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh. Not, not many of us this evening, I guess, are, are Jews, we're Gentiles. But then look at verse 11. The purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believe. Without being, <clears throat> without being circumcised. Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. Now, I think this is a new thing for many of us to learn, to, to think about. I wonder if you came to church today thinking Abraham is my father, Abraham is your father. Some of you know the old, the old song, don't you? Father Abraham has many sons. I'm not going to sing it to you, fortunately. Father Abraham has many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. But we actually did sing that song this evening in a, in, in a different form, the Graham Kendrick song that we've just sang together. Fathers of faith, my fathers now. Fathers of faith, my fathers now. I used to think, yes, God has his people in the Old Testament, the Jews, and, and somehow we're linked to them now in the New Testament, but they're not, they're not really my family. But actually, no, I have at least two fathers this evening. Wes, many of you know, my father, and Abraham. Abraham is my father So just notice, friends, immediately, verse 11 of chapter 4, immediately notice, my faith is not just about me. My faith is not just me in the Lord Jesus. I am connected to somebody I have never met, and yet he is my Father, someone I will never meet until glory. And he's mine. He's he's my spiritual Father. Now, now there's something really special going on here with Abraham in Romans chapter 4. Can you see what it is? Look at verse 7 with me. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, Now, here's the context. Paul is arguing with some people who don't understand that if you want to be friends with God, the basis of that friendship is not what you do for God. Okay, that's who Paul is arguing with in Romans. If you want to be friends with God, what makes you his friend is not what you bring him and say, look what I've done, Lord. Friendship with God is not based on what you do for God. Remember last week, first sermon on baptism, I said if you want to be friends with God, What do you do? Go to church? Get baptized? Get circumcised? Keep the whole law? Be a good neighbor? Is that what justifies us? No, remember last week, if you want to be friends with God, what did Jesus say? I need to wash you. I I need to cleanse you. I hope this evening you want to be friends with God. I hope you want to be clean. Isn't verse 7 beautiful? Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. It's it's so beautiful, isn't it? Lawless deeds forgiven, sins covered, sins not counted, not numbered, no number beside them. Amazing, isn't it? Imagine having a blank slate, a, a, a clean slate a blank page with God. Imagine being that clean. Nothing against you. Every thought in your head and your heart today, imagine if every thought and everything you've ever thought of today was put into a little speech bubble above your head. Everything that you've thought about other people all day long or that you've said or done, put into a little bubble above your head for everybody to see and for God to weigh it and imagine it was clean. Nothing there, no problems with it justified. Do you know what justification is? Have you ever been in Sainsbury's and you do your shopping or wherever you do your shopping and you go to the till and the till assistant says to you just as you're feeding everything along the conveyor belt, do you need a bag, sir? And you know what the question is beneath the question when they're asking you, do you need a bag, sir? They're really saying to you, what kind of shopper are you, sir? Are you a plastic guzzling, sea turtle killing, environmentally destroying kind of shopper? Do you not care that we're all going to die? And you say to them, no, I don't need a bag. And you lift from your trolley, your brown, bamboo, hemp, wicker, it's kind of bag that's made from responsibly sourced, recycled grass grown on the Appalachian Mountains. And you put the bag on the conveyor belt what are you? You are justified in the clear and you have something to boast about. Don't you look at me? You say your head high above all those other shoppers behind you having to pay for their plastic bags. You are justified. So how do you get that with God? Some people, Romans chapter 4, some people were saying you need to be circumcised to get that with God. If you want to be clean, you need the sign of being clean. You you need the foreskin cut away as a sign, okay? So let's track Paul's argument here. Look at verse 9. Is this blessing of being in the right with God, is it only for the circumcised? Do you have to be circumcised to get this blessing? No. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, we do not say that circumcision was counted to him as righteousness. We say that faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, when did he get that faith? That is the key issue in these verses. Which came first, faith or circumcision? Faith or circumcision? The answer is clear, isn't it? It's faith came first. That's why in verse 3, Paul has quoted Genesis chapter 15. The the words that Will read for us. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was made right with God before there was ever any knife in anyone's hand. Before any blood was shed, Abraham was right with God because he believed God's promise, took hold of it with both hands and said, yes, Lord, I trust you. That's what made him righteous. Paul is arguing in Romans chapter 4, which came first, Abraham's faith or Abraham's obedience? Abraham's faith or Abraham's circumcision? And friends, it is as obvious, isn't it, as Genesis 15 coming before Genesis 17. Genesis 15 is all about being counted righteous by faith. Genesis 17 is all about being circumcised. And so, so look at Romans chapter 4, verse 11 again. Here is Abraham by the end of verse 10. Okay, you need to track the argument. By the end of verse 10, he is righteous. Not after, but before he was circumcised. <clears throat> so what is circumcision then? Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness. That he already had by faith. See those two S-words, the sign and the seal. The, the, the purpose here was to make Abraham the father of all people who believe without being circumcised. Many of us in this room this evening were saying, we want to say to Paul and to Abraham, "Look, I, I, I'm different from Abraham. He was a Jew. I'm not. I'm Scottish or American or Nigerian or whatever. I haven't been circumcised, but, but I do believe in the same God as Abraham. I've taken hold of God's promise with both hands that the one who believes God's word simply like that, just by trusting God, God justifies him or her, makes them right. I believe that. And Paul would say to you, well, then if that's true, you are no different from Abraham. Remember? Remember? He, he got that too before he was circumcised. That's what makes Abraham your father. You see it? Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Do you want to be clean? You want to be right with God? You want to be justified? We never ever say to people, do we? If you want those things, well then baptize your baby. I hope you never hear in a CU mission a speaker saying to people, standing up in the CU lunch bar and saying to people, get baptized. And then once they've been baptized, we tell them about the Lord Jesus. No, it's the other way around, isn't it? We never say to people, clean up your life. Do this thing, do that thing. Start loving your neighbor. Stop cheating on your wife or your tax returns. Get rid of the porn on your phone. And then you will be right with God. No, we say come, come to Christ. Lay hold of him with both hands. Take hold of his righteous life with both hands. And when you do that, then let his love for you and your love for him loosen your grip on all those other things. Stopping those things or doing those things is not what justifies you. And if you trust God in the way that Abraham trusted God, he is your father. In other words, you, you have his family likeness. So, here's the question, and if that is true, why then was he circumcised? It's a kind of emphatic argument, isn't it, that faith came first. Faith is everything. And yet, Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, now that you've done this, now do that. Well, what's the point of it? Look at Verse 11 of Romans 4 again. Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision was sign and seal of that righteousness. Sign and seal of it. And friends, this is not foreign to us. It's what we do all the time. If you've been to a wedding... This summer, you have seen this actually played out with your own eyes. What if the bride and groom said to each other, I love you. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you, within the love of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what happens at that moment? The best man, hopefully, steps forward with the ring in hand. I give you this ring as a sign of my love. And, and, and the ring is connected to the thing, isn't it? The, the ring is round to show that the love is never-ending. It's whole, it's complete. The, the ring is circular, all that I am, everything I have, I give to you. Here is unbroken love signposted for you. you see, circumcision was a sign in, in the same way, a, a cutting off of the part of the body to point to the cutting off of, the part of the heart that was wrong and broken and that needed to be dealt with. Cutting off sin and hardness of heart. That's what is needed to make you right with God. And so because of that, God puts a sign on the male body. Look at the second word, not just a sign, but a seal. This word seal was, it's like the wax dripped on a parchment that's marked with a signet ring. If somebody has a ring, you stick the ring in the parchment here's what one commentator said, the seal acted as a visible pledge by the author. So imagine a parchment, the seal on the back, the ring. The seal is a visible pledge by the author to honor what he had promised to do in the document if all the conditions of the document are met. It's a guarantee of it. You see, circumcision was God's way of marking his people with his own visible pledge on their bodies to honor his covenant and provide all its blessings when the conditions of the covenant were met. Lord, I trust you. I believe you. Yet, am I really righteous? Do you know what doubt is like in the Christian life? It's there all through the Old Testament just as much. Am I really your child, Lord? Lord? circumcision is there for God to be able to say to Abraham, yes, you are Abraham. Look at your own body, your circumcised body. There is my pledge of my promise in your very flesh itself. Well, I want you just to turn back to Genesis chapter 17, the second passage that we Will read, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 17. And when you get there, find verse 13. There's a remarkable phrase, isn't there, in verse 13. Let's read just before it, verse 12. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. An everlasting covenant. You wear it on your body as a male Israelite. Lord, am I really your child? Am, am I in the covenant or out of the covenant? Do you love me? Look at your body. Look at the, look at the promise there on you. Friends, this evening, Abraham is your father. He, he is like you. And the Bible says he is not just like you in your faith. He leads the way for showing you what a real relationship with God looks like. A real relationship with God looks like this. Faith first. And then the sign and seal of that faith. Marriage first. And then the sign of it, the ring. And then the seal of it, sex. The order matters. The first pillar of infant baptism in the Bible is that every Christian has Abraham as their father. Now, second, not just a father, but a family. Not just a father, but a family. I hope that at least for some of us, particularly if you are a convinced Baptist this evening, some of you are thinking this, the question is going off in your head, and it's the right question. We should all be asking it. If that is the order, faith first, then sign, how can you possibly baptize a baby? If Abraham's order is faith first, then sign, how the baptism or circumcision of infants? Point number two, look with me at the family every Christian father leads. The family every Christian father leads. Have a look at verse 11 of chapter 17 of Genesis. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. This is to Abraham. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay, so that's exactly, that, that makes sense to us. Abraham, you believe. You have faith. Here's the sign. Okay, verse 11. But look what comes around that. Look what comes before and after that. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Verse 11, he shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised faith first, then circumcision. That makes sense, but why to the children then? There, there is no faith in an eight-day-old infant, is there? They have not done what Abraham has done. They haven't laid hold of any promise with both hands. Friends, here's the reason why human fathers, human parents, this applies, not every family has a father. This applies just as much to a a Christian home with a single parent mother in the family with her children. Human fathers are heads of their home. Human parents lead their home. And the Bible does not view children born to parents as isolated islands who do their own thing and who choose their own language or wherever they live or wherever they go to school. No, the child is brought up within the home to do what mom and dad do. The father is the head of the family. And what the father does, the family does. You see it all around it? Verse 9, verse 10, verse 12. And friends, th- 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 this might be perhaps the single most important thing I say on this whole topic this evening. This is the thing to get your head around if this is, if this is new to you. Circumcision has the same meaning for the children as it has for Abraham. Circumcision has the same meaning for the children as it has for Abraham. Do you notice in Genesis 17, nowhere are we told that circumcision is a sign of spiritual realities for Abraham, but for the children, it's just a sign of being Jewish. No, no. verse 13, it is in their flesh the sign of the everlasting covenant. And friends, that everlasting covenant still stands today. It stands this evening. Abraham that the covenant is made with Abraham that you and I belong to. And so here's the point. It all comes down to this. Abraham gives the sign of spiritual realities to eight-day-old babies who are incapable themselves yet of embracing that spiritual reality. Did you see it? You love me, Abraham? Wonderful. Here's the sign of it. Circumcision. Now give it to your children. Now give it to your children. You can imagine Abraham thinking, but but they don't love you yet, Lord. Are you sure you want me to give it to them? Yes, because you are the head of the family. What you do, they should do. What you eat, they will eat. Where you go, they will go. What language you speak, they will speak. And Abraham, that circumcision is not just a sign, it is a seal. I want to pledge to your children that if they too, like you, abandon all their works and cast themselves on my mercy in faith, I will forgive their sins. I am pledging myself to you, Abraham. I am pledging myself to your children, pledging myself to them. So it is with baptism, friends. You Isn't this true? You might never have darkened a church door in your entire life. This happens to people all the time, every year, doesn't it? People arrive in Aberdeen, never once having set foot in a church in their entire life. They come to a CU mission and they get converted. Christian friend reaches out to them, shares the gospel with them. That person is now Abraham's child. What should they do? Should they get circumcised? No, no. now you get baptized. you remember Colossians chapter 2? We read it last week. You might want to look at that next week. Or uh, you might, if, you, if you didn't hear it last week, you might want to put these two talks together. Colossians 2, two chapter, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In Jesus, you were circumcised, having been baptized. That's what the text says. Somebody comes to see you, mission, gets converted. Nobody gets out a knife but we do eventually say, come to the water, get baptized. Now that person gets married, has children. What should you tell them to do? I think you say to them, you are Abraham's child. So do what Abraham did. Apply the sign of the covenant to your children. Do with your kids what Abraham did with his, baptize them. So those are the two main pillars, friends, of infant baptism, the main argument for it. Those are the foundations for it. The father that we all have, the family that Christian fathers lead. And I want to just finish really briefly. I'm on my last couple of pages here. I want to just show you a couple of very quick other other parts of the Bible that I think support this this view of children being included. In the Old Testament, children are included within the covenant and they're given the sign and seal of the covenant. In the New Testament, I see no evidence that children should now be excluded from the covenant. And here's why. Just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here is a great encouragement to those of us who are raising our children on our own, whether mom or dad, one party has left where we have an unbelieving spouse at home. Look at verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says to children, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord. These children are not regarded as being outside, are they? These are children who have some blessing and benefit by belonging to Christian parents. Turn to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22, please. Two, Two Psalms to see very quickly. Psalm 22, perhaps one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible, I think. Psalm 22, verse 9, yet you are he who took me from the womb. What do you think about this? You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. So is that your view of children, friends? Your view of your children that from their mother's womb, they belong to God. Cast on God from birth. Look at Psalm 71. Here he, is he a believer. This is somebody who has grown up, obviously knowing and loving the Lord. Rescue me. O my God, this is verse 4, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. Isn't it amazing? Turn to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, what I'm trying to do as we finish is simply, simply show us that the, 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 the way the Bible teaches the baptism of infants is by a whole different set of streams converging together, all flowing in the same direction. Page, page 925 of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse 29, the famous story of the conversion of the Philippian jailer. And the jailer called out, One of the things that happens with a passage like this is Baptists and uh, baptists and baptists argue a huge amount over whether there were infants in these households or not. And the pedo said, there must have been babies. And the Baptist says, no, there's no record of babies in the family. We don't know if infants were baptized or what the age of the youngest person was. And I want to say both, both arguments are beside the point, aren't they? What is the significant thing that happens here? What the head of the house does... The house does. What happens to the head of the household? The household follow. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them. Look at, this, look at this next line, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. No, that he had believed in God. The household principle that runs through the Old Testament just moves seamlessly into the New Testament. What the head of the family does, the family does. And I want to just finish with this one last passage, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and then we're finished. We'll sing together. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Let's read from verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. and They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, <clears throat> Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what, what should we say, what, friends, when people say, Look at the order, repent, and be baptized, repentance must come first and only then baptism. One of the challenges to that, of course, is that no, no Baptist believer today, as far as I'm aware, says you have to repent and be baptized, and then you receive the Holy Spirit. But of course, that's what the text says, isn't it? That's the order, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No, the the important point is not exactly the strict order, but that all things must be present. And this is what is happening to the first generation of new believers in Christ. They should repent. They should get baptized. But then who is that promise for? Look at verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. In Genesis 17, God says to Abraham, this is for you and for your children and for the foreigner, for all who are far off. So friends, may God help us to see wherever you want to settle on the issue of baptism, however deep you want the waters to be, wherever you go in the pool to the shallow end or the deep end, More than anything, may God simply help us to be those people who come to the Lord Jesus like Acts chapter two, verse 38, for the forgiveness of our sins. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Amen.